ready to party. We have so much sugar. We have a hostess and little Debbie's. Guys, we have squirt. We have squirt. Oh <laughs> Wait, where are you going? We Guys, have so many. We have Twister. Guys, I said no double bouncing. Bitch can't go higher. Who said you won? Come on in, kids. Friday night fun night. Guys, I found season 17 of the Andy Griffith Show. It is the one where Barney becomes the sheriff. <laughs> hey guys, then we're gonna order some pizza. And get ready to turn back time and dance the night away with Cher. If I can turn back time. <laughs> Yeah, I would like it too. I'm tired of this. You sound just like your mom. Oh, no, you did not. Oh, I guess I did. Oh, hey, good morning. Good, good morning. Good Happy Sunday. Hey, good morning. God is good. Yes. <laughs> Awesome. Hey, look at your neighbor and say, welcome to the party. Everyone look at your neighbor at all of our campuses. Welcome to the party. I love how that video ends because in some way, every single one of us can relate, can we not? I mean, every single one of us wrestles with attention and I love that because if you're new to Northview, you should know this is a church for real people with real problems serving a real God. Can I get an amen? This is a church of real people with real problems serving a real God and we just celebrate his goodness at work in our life and no matter how you showed up today, whether you are here because someone blackmailed you to get you here or someone promised they would buy you lunch or maybe you're here trying to score a date, however you're here, my goodness, we're glad you're here. We believe God can do something amazing in and through your life. And, and I do wanna welcome all of our campuses. Come on, can we just celebrate all of our campuses? So thankful to be a part of all that God is doing in and through Northview. And if you're new to Northview, you should know we're not for everybody, but we are for somebody. And my goodness, we pray that somebody is you. We pray you feel right at home here among us and you find yourself able to pursue Jesus in a way that changes your life and leaves you forever, forever changed. And I think if you're new, chances are we just weirded you out. Can you remember the first time you experienced worship in church? I mean, the first time I bumped into some passionate worship, I was weirded out. The whole thing seemed strange to me. And then over time, I started to discovered the substance that was in it. This wasn't really part of my sermon, but during today's worship, I just felt like maybe, maybe I should give some context and speak to some of you about this idea of worship. You know, you should know we are a Bible-believing church. We teach the Bible and we promote one person and one person only, and his name is Jesus Christ, amen? That's what we exist to do. And you need to know this about theology. The goal of teaching theology is not knowledge, it's worship. The goal of teaching theology is not so you can walk away with a bigger brain, but you can walk away with an overflowing heart. That you can walk away with a greater adoration and devotion, wait a second, I thought this God was great, I just discovered he's even greater. And I believe a church that doesn't worship drifts towards entertainment. 
I believe a church that doesn't worship, it drifts towards entertainment. Before you know it, you start showing up because the music sounds nice. Because that presentation is done with excellence. And guys, I'm telling you, when we worship week in and week out, it's not for your entertainment. It's for your engagement. We believe our God is living and active among us and you can experience him in your life. And scripture says he inhabits our praises. And what I love about worship is you can't worry and worship at the same time. You just can't do it. And in this life, you can really embrace one of two perspectives. You can either view your God through the filter of your problems or you can view your problems through the filter of your God. And worship elevates your perspective to see, hey, my God is still seated on the throne, high and lifted up, and this worship reminds my soul of who my God is. What I also love about worship is worship is the one thing God can't give himself. In order to worship something, something has to be higher than you. God cannot worship because nothing is more supreme than the God that we serve and we get to worship and to adore him. And know this, I'm the type who I raise my hands, but that doesn't mean you have to raise yours. Know this, this is an important handle when it comes to worship. It's not how you express it, but to whom you address it that matters. All I want us to do when we gather is to think through the magnitude of this interaction. I am engaging with the creator of the heavens and the earth. And we don't worship because it's fun to sing. We worship because he's strong to save. Oh, come on, church. Like We worship because he's great and he's mighty. Amen. So there's a mini sermon on worship. And I pray it helps you because I just believe there's so much to celebrate. That's why we say welcome to the party. The gospel is good news for every single one of us. And if you're not a Christian, my goodness, you should know we are thrilled that you are here. And if you're at one of our campuses or watching online, we are thrilled for you to be a part of today's conversation. We are in a series called Raising Parents. And as I was jumping into today's message, I was thinking of this situation that tends to happen to me while I'm cooking. Now, I don't know what it's like for you when you cook, but I like the kitchen to remain clean while cooking. Kristen and I were very different. Kristen, I mean, she will just make a mess of the whole kitchen. It looks like a hurricane hit it, and we don't clean up until after we're done eating when Kristen cooks. I'm OCD, and so when I cook, the moment I take something out the package, I put it in the garbage. Anyone else, that's your, you're just picking up as you go? And so there's this situation that has happened in my life, and I wonder if it has happened in yours, where as I'm cooking, I realize I threw away the packaging that had the instructions. I mean, anyone else, while cooking, you had to go to the garbage to get the instructions out? And I say that because some of you have an unnecessary, even unwarranted skepticism and criticism and neglect of God's word. And I just wonder how many of you have started cooking up a life realizing, wait a second, I may have thrown away the instructions. And maybe I need to go dig out this written revelation that articulates what God's plan and desire is for my life. Church, I just am so convinced that a person who anchors their life to the word of God, well, they can stand through anything and they can thrive in ways they never thought imaginable. I love the Bible. I love the Bible. 
And know this, when it comes to how I approach even a weekend like this, I'm just not drawn to the easy stuff. You ever opened up the pages of scripture and thought, man, that one's a doozy. I don't know how to explain that one. I pray my kid doesn't read that until they're 21. I mean, there's some stuff in there that will blow your mind. And I'm the type of preacher that I think to myself, if it's on the menu, I'm gonna order it. I just think for whatever reason, God decided to include this in his written revelation and there's something in here he wants us to take away. And guys, today we're gonna look at a passage that I'm telling you, some of you, you're going to be offended. Some of you, you're going to be completely turned off. In fact, as we're reading it, you're gonna have the question in mind, why in the world is this in the Bible? And what kind of God does this tell us about? I mean, what we're gonna look at today, it is a doozy. But I believe that there's something in here for us as, as parents and as individuals who are trying to establish godly homes. And guys, I'll say this, what we talk about today is going to be applied to parenting. But know that these principles, well, they scale. And you can apply them to any season of life. And if you're a single adult, or maybe you're married without children, whatever season you're in, you can take what we're gonna talk about today and apply it. This just doesn't apply to parenting. But in Genesis chapter 16, we are introduced to a couple. And it tells us this. It says, now Sarah... Abram's wife. Now we're gonna pause there for a second. Homegirl's name is not Sarai and it's not Sarai. This is Sarah. And this is who we would know as Abraham. Any, I mean, Sunday school kids in the church today? I mean, you grew up singing Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. Anyone else, you know that song? That was the jam, had choreography and everything. That's how you know you're a true saint. You know some of those type of songs, right? What's interesting is in Scripture, and this is the case with Abraham, it also is the case for individuals like a Saul who would become known as Paul, God, for whatever reason, changes people's names. And I love that because I just wonder how many of you bear a label that God thinks, man, I'd love to change that. I'd love to substitute shame with grace. I'd love to substitute worthlessness for precious. I would love to change the name that's upon your life. Some of you are carrying a label that is not true and is just unnecessary. But for whatever reason, he changes his name. It says, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go. Sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years, that's important to pay attention to, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave to Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. I mean, there's this blame going on. You're responsible. I put her in your hands, but now you're responsible. 
And have you ever found that to blame is to be lame? Like, I, I just think blame is a lazy person's way of making sense out of chaos. It's a lazy person's way of not making sense out of, or of making sense out of chaos and not taking ownership. That's what Sarah's doing. That's what Abraham's doing. It becomes this blame game. So it's kind of a tough situation. He says, your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar. So she fled away from her. I mean, that is a doozy. And I know what some of you are thinking. How in the world is this guy going to encourage us with that? <laughs> or maybe you're thinking to yourself, my goodness, I feel pretty good about our family. <laughs> Scripture is a confidence booster. If you think your family's jacked up, just read the book of Genesis. What's amazing is in just a handful of chapters, you see this family unfold from Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. You hear their story. And what's amazing as the scriptures would unfold and the New Testament would come about, later on down the road, centuries on down the road, people would herald the God that we serve by the name of we serve the God of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob, it was a vote of confidence. It was a, a statement of declaration. This is the God that we serve. You ever read that in scripture? We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I read those statements and I think to myself, well, wait a second. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those guys were a mess. I mean, when you read their story, you think to yourself, these people were a mess. And church, I kind of think that's the nudge of heaven. Exactly. We serve the God of messed up people. We serve the God who can take a mess and turn it into a message. We serve a God who has the incredible, brilliant ability, creative ability, to weave his redemptive plan in and through the brokenness of humanity. It's amazing. These are some messed up folks. And what you need to know, and this is, guys, this is critical to your study of the Bible. When you read the Bible, a really important handle that you need to hold on to is just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's endorsed by the Bible. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's endorsed by the Bible. What you find throughout Scripture is God's honest resume of redeeming humanity despite its brokenness. And it's easy to look at a passage like this and to pass judgment. And my prayer is that you wouldn't just make a judgment. But as we go through this passage, my prayer is that you would make an assessment. Because maybe, just maybe, you have more in common with this family than you think. You ever looked at a situation and thought, man, something's wrong with them? Like, I look at my kids and I think to myself, something is wrong with this next generation. <laughs> Anyone else you ever thought that? Like, my kids right now, they like watching YouTube videos. They like watching YouTube videos of other kids playing with toys. <laughs> my kids like watching YouTube videos of other kids playing with toys that they themselves own. My kids will sit on a couch 
and watch another kid play with a toy while their toy is just sitting in the closet. And I think to myself, something is wrong with this generation. We would have never done such a thing. But yes, we would have. In fact, I was thinking about this the other day. We were guilty of the same thing. See, growing up in my house, every Saturday, we watched a show as a family. And that show was called Supermarket Sweep. <laughs> Come on, anyone else, you, you watched Supermarket Sweep? This was the show. Families would get together, right? And they would watch other families go grocery shopping. <laughs> this is what we would do. We would sit in a room with mom and dad. Hey, what are we gonna eat for breakfast? There's no food in the pantry. Shh, we're watching Supermarket Sweep. <laughs> we're not grocery shopping, but we're gonna watch these families go grocery shopping. Supermarket Sweep was amazing. It changed the way you grocery shopped. It turned shopping into a military operation. You would divide and conquer. Everything's on the bottom. Eggs and bread last because you don't smush the bread, right? Anyone else you grew up in a house? Don't smush the bread, right? We would have done the same things. Something is wrong with these folks. But sometimes if you look in the mirror honestly and courageously, you can say, well, maybe I struggle with some of the same tendencies. And maybe instead of passing judgment, we could make an assessment. Guys, what I wanna really drive home in this message is the critical necessity of being in biblical community. The critical necessity of being in biblical community. It is so critical to do life alongside, alongside other individuals who share the same faith, convictions, and values, who are anchored and moving in similar directions. It edifies your faith. It edifies your life, your marriage, and your children. You owe it to yourself to pursue your faith alongside Christian friends. And you owe it to your children to allow them to grow in their faith and to pursue Jesus Christ alongside Christian friends. Guys, I'm just telling you this is critical and it goes overlooked. And here's the thing, I think if you are gonna try to live a life for Christ without being in biblical community connected to Christian friends, you're gonna struggle. And here's why, one, the Christian life without Christian friends, well, it's confusing. So what's gonna happen is, is you're gonna open up the pages of scripture and you're gonna find this call and this echo and this prompting to be in community. And if you think to yourself or you've bought into this idea that you don't have to be in community, it's gonna be really hard to reconcile that thought with his word. It's gonna be confusing. Are you tracking with me? In addition to that, a Christian life without Christian friends is boring. Guys, I love church life. I just love being around the community of faith. I've met some of my best friends, had some of my greatest moments. I mean, my wife and I just love it. Before we had kids, we just were always around it. Before we were ever pastors, we just wanted to be a part of it. And now raising children, there's just, you just see the benefit of raising kids in a space where they can be in community. And I'm just telling you, some of you, you're missing out because you're holding out. You have no idea the joy. You have no idea the encouragement and the inspiration. You have no idea the strength and at times peace. You have no idea your need for Jesus with some skin on. And sometimes that's what the community of faith does. You go through a trial 
or you're really in need of God at work in your life. And sometimes it's the people around you who get to serve as his hands and feet. I'm just telling you, the Christian life without Christian friends, it's boring. Lastly, I'd say this. The Christian life without Christian friends, it's difficult. Or another way of saying it is it is hard to live out the Christian life without leaning on Christian friends. Guys, like we said last week, there's always a storm in the forecast. There's always a storm in the forecast. And it is hard to live out the Christian life without leaning on Christian friends. And your children are going to find it hard to live out the Christian life without leaning on Christian friends. Sociologists say every single one of us is the sum average of our five closest friends. In other words, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And the same can be stated about families. Our families are the sum average of our five closest families. So you owe it to yourself to do an audit. Who are the families that we're surrounding our family with? And what you find for Abraham and Sarah is this is actually what made them so vulnerable. They're in the land of Canaan and they are by themselves, foreigners in a new land. And they have no one around them to provide accountability for the stewardship of their family. And they fall into foolishness. Now before you pass judgment on Abraham and Sarah, you should know what these two did on faith is pretty remarkable. Sometimes we, we fail to recognize all that we have supplementing our faith and what they didn't have that we're accustomed to. For example, Abraham and Sarah, they didn't have the Bible. They didn't have this library of 66 books that help edify, explain, and instruct the life in Christ. They didn't have that. In addition to that, Abraham and Sarah, they didn't have the local church. And they certainly did not have the local church the way we know of it in the West, where we can gather in our freedom and we can gather in our comfort and we can even gather in our luxury, surrounded by a crowd of other people who support and believe and embrace what we believe. They didn't have the local church. In addition to that, they didn't have the finished work of the cross. They only had the hope of it. They had no idea how God was gonna weave his redemptive plan into humanity. You and I have the finished work of the cross. And not only do we have the cross, we have the empty tomb. And not only do we have the empty tomb, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling among us, carrying out his work through us. I mean, do you not see that living on this side of history, we are spoiled when it comes to our faith. What these two did on a prompting from God is actually pretty outstanding. You have to give them some credit. God says to a couple who was late in age, hey, you've never had children. You're barren and you are struggling with infertility. I am going to give you a child and I will make a great nation out of you, but you're gonna have to go. And you're gonna have to go before I show what the next step is, which that is faith. God will call you to go before he shows. And so they step out in this journey. And what's sad is, I mean, you see the torment on Sarah. My heart goes out to Sarah. Anyone who has ever been on a journey or battle with infertility, well, they can empathize with this Sarah. 
In her time of history, women didn't carry any worth or value. The culture and the society at the time only viewed a woman as someone who was there to bring about children, specifically sons. It was sad how women were mistreated. And so if you're a woman living when Sarah lived and you couldn't produce a child, you were considered worthless. So your heart breaks for her. I mean, think about when we first started trying to have kids, we went through a season where we were unable to get pregnant. Anyone who's ever been in that, you understand the, the stress that that can create, the, the torment. It starts to come with some questions. Is, is something wrong? Why are we not getting pregnant? Are we able to have kids? Is something wrong with you? Is, is something wrong with me? And so we did what a lot of couples do and we scheduled the doctor's appointment. And we go into the doctor and I'm embarrassed to admit this. I was so naive and ignorant at the time. I had no idea what other people have struggled with and other people's journeys of infertility. In all reality, when we walked into this doctor's office, we discovered what we were going through could not even compare to what most people struggle with and the long years on end journeys that others have been through. It was really eye-opening. The doctor said, you know, you can do all kinds of things to predict the right time and schedule, or you can just go home and practice having a kid every day for the next month. <laughs> to which I was like, you know, doctor, I think you're onto something. <laughs> Best January of my life. And I know what you're thinking. I cannot believe he just said that. <laughs> I showed up to talk about parenting. And I know there are people at Kokomo dying right now, right? I showed up to hear a conversation about parenting, not this. And you're right, but I'm pretty simple-minded. And to me, it's apparent how you become a parent. <laughs> Nonetheless, we go through this season and it just opened my eyes because it was, a real, it was a real strain for us. But in all reality, what we went through in that season, it cannot even compare to some of the heroes among us who face it daily for years. If that's your story, you should just know this for whatever reason tends to be one of God's specialties. He specializes in areas of infertility and miraculous pregnancies. And I would just say take heart and know that we love you and we pray for you and our hearts go out to you. And can we just applaud those who stand faithfully? <laughs> that is a tension, and it was a tension for Sarah. It was a massive tension for her. And what you find is in those moments of torment and discouragement, in those moments of pressure and criticism, she turns inward. And guys, this is really important because we have the tendency to do the same. You can either go to God with your problems, which is prayer, or you can go to yourself with your problems, which is worry. The difference between worry and prayer is who you process your problems with. She starts to internalize these things. And here's what you have to understand. The moment we internalize things and we go inward, and every single one of us is gonna struggle with this at some point. What happens is, is we start to plant the seeds of narcissism in our life. Guys, this is gonna be pastoral, but you have to hear me on this. Narcissism, 
is without a doubt one of the fastest, most lethal cancers your family could ever get. Narcissism is one of the fastest, most lethal cancers your family could ever, ever get. And my heart goes out to her, but she falls into narcissism. And if you struggle with narcissism, or if you've ever tried to make sense of narcissistic people, narcissistic people, they obsess over other people's praise. They are agitated by the affirmation that they see others receiving. And it becomes a torment to them. And you have to be careful and you have to guard your heart and guard your mind because if you start to live for other people's praise, well, you will start to live for what other people value. Because here's the deal. People only praise what people value. And what happens is, is insecurity causes us to lay down our identity. I know this is hefty. This is the type of stuff you get in a group and you talk about. But you know what's amazing is we can spot this in other people. It's really hard to see it in the mirror. You ever found that you are amazing at spotting crazy in somebody else? <laughs> like you can have one conversation and walk away and be like, man, he's nuts. <laughs> Homegirl is crazy. But it takes you 30 seconds to see crazy in somebody else. It takes us 30 years to see it in ourselves. And here is an early sign that you're giving yourself over to narcissism. You are starting to become easily offended. See, what happens is, is narcissism buys into this idea that everything revolves around you. And when that is your filter, everything that happens and is said, takes place, is interpreted through the filter of this is about me. So all the discouragement and letdown and confusion in this life you take as a reflection of you, and then you live perpetually offended, which this is the problem with our culture. Everybody is so easily offended, and we wanna address the symptoms, not the sickness. Guys, we're self-centered at our core, and this is a real problem. Now, this is a cute way of saying it, but hopefully it helps you understand it. Guys, when I is replaced with we, even illness becomes wellness. When I is replaced with we, even illness becomes wellness. You, you start to just say, all right, like, hey, I cannot operate self-centered in a family unit. It creates a cancer that is harmful to everybody. And that is what plays out in the life of Abraham and Sarah. And they lack the community to hold them accountable and to edify their family as they are stewarding the season that they're in. And some of you, my concern is you're not surrounded by the right people. And if you're not careful, it's going to come with some heartache. It's gonna come with some disappointment. Guys, there's three things that you have to understand and that is this, families that go unaccountable often become unreasonable. Families that go unaccountable, they often become unreasonable. They, they just fall into really bizarre logic. And here's what you have to understand about Sarah and Abraham. We look at this situation and we think that's appalling. That is appalling. Why would anyone do such a thing? But in their society and in the culture that they were living in, for 10 years, the land of Canaan, 
This is what other people in their culture did to build families. So Abraham and Sarah go for 10 years and they're holding on to the promise and now they're frustrated because God doesn't seem to be holding up his end of the deal. And come on, church ought to be the most honest place on the planet. Have you ever been frustrated because it doesn't seem like God is holding up his end of the deal? God, I said yes, I stepped out in faith. I'm living a life of obedience. I'm staying faithful. But you're not showing up the way I thought you would. I mean, come on, folks. Have you ever been there? I'm telling you, a life with Christ is gonna come with those type of seasons. Just know that God is up to something even when you feel like you're down to nothing. But in this moment, they start looking around and they start to realize, hey, there's other families and this is how other families approach these type of situations. And guys, know this, the difference between the wise and the foolish isn't their problems. The difference is their solutions. Guys, the difference between us and the world is not our problems. We have many of the same problems. That's why I tell you, being a Christian doesn't make us better than anybody. It just makes us better off. That shouldn't come with thoughts and feelings of being superior to where we think now we have the license to look down on people. No, we now have the responsibility to look out for people. We have much of the same problems. What we have different is our solutions. And Abraham and Sarah, they looked at their problem and they recognized other people in this culture have the same problem. And this is what they did to solve it. And this is what they did to solve it. And guys, I'm telling you, be very careful. You don't adopt a solution from culture that doesn't align with our kingdom values. You be very careful. I would say it this way, guys. Don't take advice from someone you don't admire. You ever found that everyone wants to be your counselor? Everybody has advice. And sometimes you gotta say, hey, sweetheart, I didn't put you on retainer. I never signed a contract. I never hired you to be my counselor. But what we do is we just take advice from anybody, right? Be careful. Don't take advice from someone you don't admire. And some of you, I'd say this. You may need advice on who you admire. I mean, what is it about the people you gravitate to? What is it about the people you're trying to become like? And what you find is in this moment, they get laxed. In this moment, they actually become pretty passive. Well, I don't know. What do you think we should do? This is what our neighbors are doing. This is what people down the street are doing. And their passivity gives root to foolishness. Guys, I'd say this. Passive families often fall into massive fallacies. I mean, wouldn't you call this a pretty massive fallacy? Passive families. And some of you, be careful. You're getting a little too casual when it comes to the development of your home and the stewardship and the, the raising of your children. Passive families often fall into massive fallacies. There's this time we were at Disney with our kids. And I was just so impressed by the employees at Disney. I mean, everybody sells out to this magical experience. I mean, they do not break character. 
One time we were looking for a ride and I see this employee dressed like a Jedi. I'm like, clearly this guy works here. So I walk up to him, I say, hey, do you know where this ride is? And he kind of postures himself and he says, oh, you're from the past. I said, yeah, I just got here. Can you tell us where the ride is? And he says, well, in order to get there, you're gonna have to step into the future. I said, okay, future starts now. Where are we going, pal? <laughs> he did this whole like routine and then like escorted us to the ride. And as he walked away, we all looked at him and he kind of like reached out as if we were shooting off into the galaxy. This guy would not break character. <laughs> and I thought to myself, how are they training these employees? These people will not break character in the magical kingdom, but somehow we break character in the kingdom of God all the time. How are they raising them up, clarifying expectations and putting before them a standard that's inspiring? We should put before our children a standard that calls out their potential. In this house, we don't break character. Families that go unaccountable, guys, they fall into the unreasonable. In addition to that, families that go unaccountable often pay the unaffordable. Like we tell our kids, listen, your life is your life. And at some point, you're going to have to learn to steward it on your own. And there's going to be a lot of opportunity for you to make poor decisions. Just know this. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. It will take you further than you want to go. And it will keep you longer than you want to stay. And church, it will cost you more than you want to pay. I mean, the expense of this decision is hard to quantify. But wouldn't you agree it's pretty significant? And I'm just telling you, if you're not surrounded by people who can speak into your family, into your marriage, into the, the raising of your children... Guys, I'm telling you, you might pay the unaffordable. And lastly, families that go unaccountable often experience the unimaginable. Like you get down the road and you see what that decision produces and you think to yourself, we did not see this coming. If you're like my wife, you've had a hard time paying attention to my sermon. Right? <laughs> Let me explain why. My wife is an extreme advocate. I mean, she is the type of person that, I mean, despite your shortcomings, mistakes that you make, whatever pain you're going through, she feels her assignment in life is just to stand beside you. She's a huge advocate, and she just goes to bat for people who have no one standing in their corner. And maybe you're wired like that as well. And so this whole time I've been preaching, you haven't been listening because in the back of your mind, you've been thinking, okay, Abraham and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah. What happened to Hagar? This poor girl abused, manipulated, mistreated, and now fleeing on her own. What happened to Hagar? This is really important to pause for a second because some of you have relational pain. Maybe you can relate in this story to someone like a Hagar, where there's been some mistreatment, some abuse. Maybe you've been taken advantage of, and maybe you find yourself running with a broken heart. You gotta read your Bible, church. 
You have to read your Bible. In fact, this week I pray and I pray that you go home and read Genesis chapter 16. What you find is Hagar, she, she takes off running and she has an encounter with God. It's kind of even hard to describe it or let alone paraphrase it. And she has this encounter with God. God tells her, hey, the son that you now carry, he's going to be a rough child to raise. He's going to be hostile towards people. And he is going to become a great nation. But in this moment, she is, she is encouraged by this interaction with God. And she calls the place where she experiences God. You know what she calls it? Beer Lahai Roy. So she calls the place. You've got to read your own Bible. And Beer Lahai Roy, you know what it means? God sees me. God sees me. And just that thought alone somehow gives her the strength and the courage to face what she's going through. You ever found it amazing that God sees you? That he never takes his eye off of you and you never come off of his radar? There's something so profound about his sight on us producing might in us. Something about his sight on us produces might in us. And I find that people who feel overlooked often become overwhelmed. Have you ever felt overlooked? I mean, have you ever felt like no one sees the trial and the, ang the angst that you're going through? But you should know God sees you. And from Hagar would come Ishmael. Spoiler alert, Abraham and Sarah would get back on track and God would fulfill his promise because he never lies. And those two would have a son named Isaac. And guys, from Ishmael would come a movement known around the world to this day as Islam. And from Isaac would come a movement around the world known to this day as Christianity. I mean, guys, here's the thing. Fallacies, they become legacies. Don't let a fallacy become a legacy. And this is, guys, this is one of the statements that you write down, you go home and you journal about. Because it's kind of, I mean, this is hefty stuff. What you find is Abraham gets Hagar pregnant and God says, this son's gonna become a great nation. Because here's the thing, God has so much integrity, he stays to his word even when we mismanage it. Guys, here's what I wanna caution some of you. Be very careful. You do not sow a blessed seed into foolish soil. Be very careful. You do not sow a blessed seed into foolish soil. God may have blessed you with looks. You're handsome. You're beautiful. You're attractive. Do not sow the blessed seed of looks into the foolish soil of sexual immorality. God may have blessed you with intellect. Don't you sow the blessed seed of intellect into corruption. God may have blessed you with communication skills. Do not sow the blessed seed of communication skills into the foolish soil of gossip. Because I'm telling you, when you sow blessed seed into foolish soil, it still becomes something great. And a fallacy can become a legacy. 
Church, you have to be careful. I have to be careful. And the management of our lives and the stewardship of our children is critical. And so I pray you really raise the priority in your life to make church life and biblical community just essential. We are gonna raise our family in biblical community because families that go unaccountable, they fall into the unreasonable, they pay the unaffordable, and they experience the unimaginable. And guys, here's what I've discovered in my life. Accountability produces durability. You need people in your life who can provide some durability and edify the thing you're trying to accomplish. Another way of saying it is your faith community helps sustain your family's continuity. Your faith community helps sustain your family's continuity. And it has me thinking about this. I know you've been staring at it. One day I, I show up to have lunch with my kid and I get there early, I don't know the protocol, what am I gonna have to do, you know, I'm gonna have to sign in. And they tell me, hey, you're, you're 15 minutes early, the kids are out at recess, if you want, you can go out to recess with them. To which I'm like, bring on some dodgeball, I will tear some kids up today. <laughs> so I go out there and there's kids running all over this playground. And then I see this bench and sitting on this bench is my kid. So I walk over to the bench and I say to my kid, what are you doing? Why aren't you playing? To which they respond, I'm sitting on the buddy bench. And I said, what's the buddy bench? And my kid said, the buddy bench is for kids who have no one to play with. And so when you don't have anyone to play with, you sit on the buddy bench. And hopefully kids will see you there and they'll come ask you to play with them. Now in that moment, I appreciated what the school was doing. I love that they're really trying to teach kids to be socially aware and to, to be intentional with one another. But there was part of me that wanted to sneak back in the middle of the night with an ax and destroy this bench. The fact that a buddy bench exists broke my heart. The fact that every single day a child would sit on it with no one to play with. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, my kid's awesome. No one wants to play with my kid. It, it, it frustrated me. And I say that because we gather every single week. Some of you, you're with us for the first time, maybe in the room or at one of our campuses. And there are people sitting on the buddy bench. No one's reached out to them, invited them to join the group, invited them to serve on a team. No one has promoted all the different offerings to the family framework and the things that their kids can be a part of. And sitting in rows among all of us are people who are on the buddy bench. And I just get the feeling our Heavenly Father's like, man, does no one want to play with my kid? Can you not just reach out to the person next to you? Can you not be so binary in your thinking? You're only thinking, I don't need anybody right now. Well, know this, at some point you will. But don't just think of, who do I need? Think of the question, who do others need? 
And would you just become aware of the people around you? Guys, I'm telling you, the days ahead for the church are going to be tough. And if we don't learn to link arms and to do life together and to edify each other and to lift one another up and encourage each other with the truth and to serve and to love and be some Jesus with some skin on, I'm telling you, the durability that we all need is gonna be missing. Don't go through life without being in biblical community, amen? Amen. Guys, I do wanna promote this before we leave. At all of our campuses, we offer the family framework and the whole emphasis is to create conversations for parents with their children. You can go to northviewchurch.us backslash family framework and our team has created so much content. In addition to all the events, all this curriculum and things that you can do to really be intentional as a parent. And I really wanna encourage you, take full advantage. The one who holds out misses out, amen? And so at this time, I'm gonna pass it back to all of our campuses and leaders are gonna lead out this next moment. And I'm gonna ask those of you in the room, Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes and pray with me? God, I'm thankful for your grace and I'm thankful for your goodness. And I'm thankful for your word that as we read it, somehow it reads us. And God, I pray that walking away, every single one of us will examine the relationships and the community that we are raising our children in. God, help us not fall into the unreasonable, help us not pay the unaffordable, and help us not experience the unimaginable. God, would you be God in all situations? And God, would you wrap your loving arms around every single family here today? There's not a single perfect family in the room or online or at one of our campuses. God, thank you for being the God of messed up people. Lord, we certainly need your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.